Alright, welcome once again. Happy 4th of July. Thanks for coming out today. And uh, we're going to uh, connect last week's message with this week a little bit. And last week we were talking about how we look at the Word and how we sometimes will want to take what we already have in mind and modify the Word to fit it. We already know the answer we want. We just go and try to seek it instead of trying to seek God's truth and try to see what God really has for us. And today we're going to look about how we do the same thing when it comes to church and how we try to modify that. And uh, it's one of them times where we have to do some self-reflecting and we have to not point the fingers at someone else but back at ourselves and take responsibility for us, and when I say us, I mean Christians, I mean believers, I mean who we are in the eyes of the Lord and who we represent and what that responsibility is and how we are are working with that and what we're doing with it. So uh, let's start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we ask you just to let your true message shine through, take myself out of the way, Father, and just let our Hearts and minds be open to receive it, Father, to benefit and to use it. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So let's, uh, let's start off with a, a little bit of the Word. And we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which have consecrated us through the veil, that is said flesh, having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near a true heart and full assurance of having faith in our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold fast the provisions of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that is promised. And let us consider to one another provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in a manner for some, but assorting one another. So much to the more as see the day approaching. Faith, assembly, these things should sound familiar because we've been talking about them. It's a, a theme that runs through the Word of God. It's things that God wants us to instill in us. There's something to become part of us. Something we should know. Truths. Like I said, last week we talked about having an ideal. And we want to use the word of God because we're all connected. We're all made in God's image. God has written his laws on our hearts. Whether you believe it or not, we have that connection and we have that drive. We want to belong. We want to have that approval from God. We want to feel secure. You know, all of us Majority of the population believe in some sort of an afterlife, and we want to secure our place there. So we want to have that approval. But yet, the flesh wants what the flesh wants, so we want to 
have both. We want to be able to do both. We want to do what we want to do without consequences, but we still want to have that connection with God. And it doesn't always work that way because God has made it very clear there are certain things that we need to do, certain things we need to not do, because he has told us this. And he's told us this for our purpose so we can have a enhanced life, that we can be fulfilled, that we can meet our purpose, that we can have abundance, that we can have our needs met, have our prayers answered. These are the reasons God tells us these things, not simply because he says so or he wants us to or he's some kind of a dictator. He loves us and he wants us to succeed and be successful and to be happy and to have every need met. God wants us to come together. He wants us to come together as a body of believers. Matthew 18 and 20 tells us that where two or three are gathered, that he is in the midst. We are made to come together. We are, are social by nature. We are made in God's image. And what did God want? God wanted a family. We are all brothers and sisters. Church gives us a, a basis to come together for a common goal, for God's worship. Where two or three are gathered. Whenever we come together in prayer, when we are in agreement, it amplifies our prayer power. A husband and wife comes together in prayer. Prayer life is amplified. When we come together as a church, as a group, our prayers are amplified. We're here to support each other. We're here to help each other. The body of Christ is made up of a bunch of different parts, and that's what we are. We are all of these different parts coming together for one common purpose. I often ask, why are you here today? What is your purpose? What are you trying to, to get? And uh, I've mentioned this a few times, you know, that we see it everywhere that churches are suffering. Attendance is down. It's down especially since this past year through the pandemic and everything that has caused. But that's not the only issue. It's been happening for a while. We're having a move away from God. We are having a, a move away from church. These newer generations coming up are not seeing the importance of it. There is not that feeling of remorse anymore for not being part of a church. There's no remorse for missing. There's no remorse for not being part of it. There's no consequences anymore. 
In fact, now where a time would be whenever you wouldn't admit such things, now certain things are for praise because you're standing up for your individuality. You're standing up against tyranny or whatever kind of title they want to put against it. But you know, it's there's blame to be put from the inside. Because we are the ones that are doing the work. We are the ones that are setting the example. And what kind of work are we doing? What kind of examples are we setting? We know that the flesh is flawed. We know that it is sinful. We know that it is driven by emotion. And it is driven by want. We know these things, and yet we still let it take control. We let it do what it wants to do to fulfill that instant gratification, to fulfill that need. I handle all the phone calls here, and uh, it's not unusual to receive 20 to 30 a day now. And, uh, you know, that, that's fine. But as I'm reflecting back, as I was thinking about this message today, I was thinking about what is the, the subject matter of those phone calls? Well, for one thing, we get a lot of, of spam. We get things that want to take money. They want to take information. They want to use deception and deceit for their personal financial gain. You know, one time that a church was considered off limits for things like that. That People feared God enough, even though they weren't living a godly kind of life, they still had some sort of morals, some sort of conviction, and certain things was off limits. But not anymore. In today's world, where sin runs rapid, where Satan is king, a church is nothing more than a target, a vulnerability, something that's ripe for the taking. And then uh, the next segment is they want to they sell us something. And I understand that, you know, we all have to make our livings and that's how we we do. Business are based on sales, and we have to, to reach out and, and to try to do those things. But day after day after day, and you can tell them no. You can tell them your financial situation. You can tell them that we're just not in that kind of shape right now, but yet they keep flocking in. And they think if they can just talk to you long enough that they can convince you that no matter 
while you're telling no that what they have is better and you need it and nothing else matters to go ahead and, and sign up. Then we have people that's, that's looking for something. They know the image of the church and they know it's, a church is charitable. They know that a church is, is, is loving. And they're, they're looking for something, some kind of help. And there is far more people that's looking for something, looking to take something, than they are looking to, to give something. And we can't help every person that calls. We can't pay every bill. We can't fill up every tank of gas. Because there's simply just not enough to go around. Here in 2021, we're struggling just to keep the doors open, just to keep the internals working, to keep the lights on, to keep the, the bills paid, just to keep doing what we do. See, people often, they see the ones that have the, the promotions, the mega churches, the, the, uh, the Lakewoods of the world, the, the Joe Olsteins, we see all that. We see the massive amounts of, of money and people. But you know, that's the exception. That's not the rule. That many small town preachers are just struggling to get by. That this is just something that we do for the love of it not for the, the profit of it. That many churches are struggling just to maintain, just to take care of the few people they have. The ideas of being able to have multi-thousand dollar programs, erect multi-million dollar buildings, that is just simply not in the realm of even the thought process of most of our churches today. But that is the image that people see. That's what's on our social media. That's what's on the TV. We see this, this grandness. And then we see these people with this, this great wealth and they keep providing with being provided with more and more and more. And then they do these things that are questionable and it puts a, a bad image on all of us. But we can't, we can't do it. We can't give. And then, when we can. I was talking to another person just the other day and was talking about, about food banks and clothes donations. And, uh, you know, we've, we've done things like that in the past. And you would think that people that are, are truly in need would be satisfied with anything. But they say they're hungry, but they don't want food, they want cash. 
They say they need things, but they're not satisfied with the things that you can provide. The, the labels aren't the right labels. The brand's not the right brand. From clothes to food to even Christmas presents for children during the holidays. We've made strides and efforts to help the community and to do. And what we see is, is people wanting something different. That it's not good enough. That it's not enough. That it doesn't fit the ideal of what they had imagined, what they want. So not only are they not satisfied, they're also angry. I cannot tell you how many times I've dealt with a person on the other end of the phone that became hostile, irate, mean, just because that we as a body, as a church group, could not fit the idea of what they expected from us. That they don't want to take the time to answer questions about their relationship with God. That they don't want to take the time to want to talk about their church history. That they don't want to accept what we have to offer. They become mean and irate and just plain nasty. And then the, the, the last group that we get is, is my favorites. When they want to know about the church. When they're a, what I call a prospect. Because there's nothing that brings me more joy is when I'm standing up here and I'm looking out and I can see new faces. Because yes, I want to see this building full. I know that the more people we have, that the stronger it makes the church, it's stronger, the more things that we can do, that we can be better prepared to, to serve God, to serve the community. But more importantly than that, every time that a new face walks through the door, I see an opportunity to be able to possibly change some perspective, to possibly see someone receive a true gift, which is God. We don't know what we're getting as they walk through the door. This person may have never accepted Jesus Christ. They may have that big hole that's still missing because it's never been fulfilled. We don't know what their background, what their story is, what they have to overcome, what their teaching has been. Because it may have been a false teaching. It may have been something that's not doing them any good. God called me to preach. And I've told this story before. And it's like, God, why would you want me? I don't fit the mold. I don't look the look. I don't talk the talk. I am not properly 
schooled. I'm not elegant. I'm blunt. I'm rough. I use real world examples that a lot of people just don't do. And God said, that's exactly what I'm looking for. If we all have an idea about how things should be. I'm getting a little off topic there, but we'll go back to the phone calls. And they ask about, about the church. And I'm, I'm always prepared. Because I always say, you know, we have to know what we believe. We have to be able to tell people what we believe. And I'm ready to tell what I believe and why I believe it. But you know, they don't ever ask those questions. They never ask how you teach. They never ask what version of the Bible do you teach from. In the years that I've been doing this, I've had one person out of these hundreds and hundreds of people I've talked to, I've had one person that's called up and asked, said, what do you teach on? How do you feel about this? And the thing of it was, this, there wasn't even, they already had their mind made up. They were looking for something specific and trying to find that niche that they was looking for. But they want to know What do we provide? I think it's the responsibility of the church to provide one thing. That is the truth of God. To teach from the Word. To give the people what God has for us to hear. That everything else comes after the fact. We're here to be with a group of believers. We're here to hear the word. Because faith comes from hearing the word. We're here to learn. We're here to, here to hear a perspective from a teacher. We're here to study. We're here to build our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But I never hear people talk about those things. They're new to the area or they're looking for a new church. And they're looking for what kind of programs do you have? What kind of social gatherings do you do? What can I get? Church shopping is almost like shopping for a new car. You're trying to get the best one with the, the most features with the least amount of effort. We have people that come and go. 
And the reasons, they're, they're just, they're not good. Because you see that God is not first and foremost. How many times have I heard that I'm going somewhere else, it's not you, that I, I like the way you teach, I like the way you do, I like your church, but, but, I, I need something else. I need somewhere that's got more people because I'm looking for a mate. And I need to be able to go where there's more people that I have better chances of. Again, I like everything you're doing, but I want some place where the, the kids can go on trips and, and do more things. That they need more entertainment. I need to go somewhere where there's more social interactings. I've heard people say that. That I go to this church because there is more people to talk to. There's more interactions. There is more opportunities. You know, Jesus went into the temple and He started overturning tables because they're in there selling things. They're taking what it was supposed to be, a sanctuary, a temple, a holy establishment, and turning it into a place for profit, making a mockery of God. And I understand that. I understand how Jesus must have felt. And I'm not upset because someone leaves. I'm not upset that someone goes somewhere else. I'm upset about is because what are they missing out on? If they're not putting God first and foremost, if they're not putting learning the truth, learning God's word on the forefront, then what are we doing all this for? And I question myself, am I doing a good enough job of presenting God's word? Or are people just not listening? As a whole, church is not that big portion of our time. You know, God don't ask for that much. We're down now to a, an hour, one time a week. What are we giving him? We make time for everything that we deem important. No matter how busy we are, no matter how much is on our place, no matter how full our schedule is, if something is important to us, we find a way to make time for it. We'll get in every episode of our favorite TV show. We'll make every one of our kids' ball games. But God, we can put on the back burner.
How are we supposed to come together as believers? How are we supposed to unite our prayer front if we're not united in our minds and in our hearts? It's not a new concept. So Jesus going in, overturning tables, telling the Pharisees just how it is, confronting them with Scripture. Man has been corrupting the organization of religion ever since we started organizing it. Jesus, he could go out there on a boat, kick off into the water a little bit, and speak to the masses, and changed so many lives, performed so many miracles, captivated a huge audience, gained a huge following, all without a building. All without a, a fancy suit. All about without a, a coffee bar. Special clubs. Organizations. We have all these different organizations and groups that we become part of. And we do it in the name of God. And they're nothing more than a social hour. To talk about what we've been doing over the past year and... and what we, we hope to do and, and all it really is is just a, a gathering and we really never accomplish anything. Because that's not on the forefront of what we're doing. We start to put ourselves as an elite. We want new people to walk in, but as soon as we do, we judge them. We judge their, their clothes. We judge their intentions. We judge their past. We're supposed to represent Love, we're supposed to represent mercy because these are the things of Jesus and we're supposed to be Jesus's representatives. But are we doing these things? Or do we condemn? And that seems to be pretty popular, that Condemning of others. Because we get this idea that we show up every week and we do these things that that's all we need to do. I hear people say that I don't want to go to church because of the hypocrites. And I've said in the past that, you know, we don't go to church for other people. There's only one person that's in this room today, 
And I say he's here because I just read from the word that where two or three are gathered, he is in the midst. That is the only person that we need to be concerned about. It's God. So many times in life we're worried about man. Mankind. What they think about us. What our friends, what our family, what our followers, what they think about us. But you know, none of that matters. If we are doing God's work, if we are following God's will, if we are preaching God's truth, then what man thinks doesn't matter. Don't worry about what someone else is doing. If you let the actions of someone else keep you from doing what God wants you to do, that is an excuse. That is the work of Satan. And then, on the other side of that argument, if we, when I say we, I mean Christians, I mean followers, I mean believers, I mean churchgoers, if we were not doing actions that were deemed hypocritical, then they would have no ammunition to use against us. And that is a personal choice that each and every one of us has to make each and every day. We have to evaluate every choice we make, every action that we do, and even if there's no one else around, we have to ask ourselves, is this pleasing unto God? Now granted, they are people that are in churches, that call themselves Christians, that have their light up Jesus pen, that raise their hand in praise, and do all these things. That on the outside you would think they are nothing but the extreme holy roller. But in fact, they are nothing but a wolf in sheep's clothing. I believe that there are some people that are sent by Satan himself just to cause trouble. We've all encountered them. We all know this type. We all have dealt with them. And they're there. And brothers and sisters, we can pray for them. The best thing we can do for our enemies is not let them get to us. To not let them see us falter. To not let them drag us down. To be that example. God needed rough men. Jesus picked some fishermen. God selected Paul. I go back to Paul because, you know, he, uh, he went through a, some mighty rough times. Had a mighty rough background. 
And what did he say? Count it all joy. No matter what happened, no matter what was done to him, he was always singing God's praises. But what do we do, Christians, when things start going bad? We turn away. We turn from God. We make excuses. I love to preach. I love to bring the Word of God. My hope is is that if I can just reach one person, if one person can hear my voice and just get some little something out of the message, then I'm happy. Fact of the matter is, I will stand up here and talk to no one. I will still send it out to the to the world and may never know if anybody ever ever really truly hears it or reaches it but I would because I enjoy it it's all the other struggles that that come along with it it's the the battles the politics the challenges that's the the tough stuff to contend with but it's all part of the process. We go up and down the roads and we see different church buildings. We see different denominations. And it's all because someone didn't like something. Someone thinks that they can do it better. Sin is a divider. Satan knows that we are stronger together. Stronger together. Our prayer power is amplified. So think about what he's been doing. He's been dividing up the churches. He's been dividing up the world. This past year, we've been kept away. Stay away, stay away, stay away. Cover up. We can't even see the basic human interactions because our face has been blocked. We can't see a smile. We can't see a smirk. We can't see love expressed visually. This is not by accident. This is by design because Satan knows what division does. You know, if we took all these little churches and we started filling up some of them, and then we took these real big ones because it's on the other side of the spectrum too. You know, when you have these mega churches that has hundreds of thousands of members, there is no personal connection anymore. You're 
divided, even though you're together, even though you're underneath the same logo, the same group, you're still divided because there is so many that you can't come together. That there's no way that that pastor can have contact with each and every one of them people. There's no way when something happens that that information can get there in time. There's no way for the people to come together because half the time there's so many different groups and so many different sections and so many different times and so many different meetings that these people never even see one another. So how is it that you can come together? How is it that we can do all of these intimate things that we're supposed to do as a family, as brothers and sisters, if we're still divided? God is all about unity. He would go and bring people together. And not for entertainment. Do you know that every time that I've looked where Jesus has delivered a message, every time, I did not see the first time when they put on a music show to start off with. There was no flashing lights. There was no pre-game party. There was no coffee and donuts. They didn't even eat out of luxury. They ate out of necessity. When he fed 5,000 people, it's because they couldn't go and get something to eat. They've been there all day and they're isolated from where they could go get food. And it was out of necessity because they still wanted to be there and they wanted to, to hear what Jesus had to say. I'm starting to approach my time limit. And I guarantee you right now, we're already thinking about getting out of here. Moving on. Moving to the next thing. What's for lunch? Because we don't have that hunger for God. You know what draws us into a a TV show or a book or, or something like that is we want to find out what happens next. And, you know, many of us say, well, I've read the, I've read the Bible from cover to cover. I, I've read it. I've read it through several times and I've, I look at it all the time. I know what's going to happen. No, you don't know what's going to happen because I have questions. See, I want to know what's going to happen when I get my faith where it needs to be. When my faith is completely unwavering, what's going to happen next? I want to know what's going to happen when we can fill this room up right now with a bunch of true, die-hard, unwavering, faith-filled believers. What's going to happen next? I want to know what it's going to take to get where we can start seeing miracles 
happen again. It didn't stop because Jesus left. Because Jesus said that what I have done, you will do, and also greater things. Well, quite frankly, I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing greater things that Jesus done. Now, Jesus said it. I know everything he says is the absolute truth. So that must mean the problem must rely with us. I want to see what happens next when we can overcome everything that's preventing us from accessing this God-given power that Jesus died on the cross and covered his, us with his blood to give us. I want to see what happens next. I want to see growth. I want to see what happens when we start putting out love in the world. I want to see when we start canceling feelings. That's a new hot thing right now to cancel something. Let's cancel feelings. Let's cancel excuses. Let's cancel Satan. Let's cancel sin. Our church infrastructure is sick and it's dying. And there's only one way to turn that around. There's only one way to heal it and to save it. And if you want to know how to do that, walk into your bathroom and look in the mirror. It is each and every one of our responsibilities being a Christian, being a believer, that is more than just a title. That is more than just something we say. It's who we are supposed to be. It is our purpose. Let us start fulfilling our purpose.